Good morning. It's June 14th, pleasant morning in New York City, and this is your Indignity Morning Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Skoka, taking a look at the day and the news. Number one piece of news, of course, is the arraignment of Donald Trump, which happened yesterday in Florida, more or less as expected. The one newish wrinkle seems to have been the federal magistrate judge overseeing it, deciding to try to impose some limitations on how much Donald Trump could talk to witnesses and to his co-defendant in an effort to balance out the normal criminal standards in which someone facing the charges Trump is facing would be locked up or at least severely restricted from moving around and talking to witnesses at all. And the extraordinary deference that Trump has always gotten on any of his criminal matters in which he's presumptively immune to any sort of normal restrictions or consequences, and the logistical complications of the fact that most of the witnesses are people who have to work with him and around him, including his co-defendant, who is his body man or valet, or whatever we're calling a personal manservant these days. Rather than dwelling on that, Glenn Thrush gives the readers of the Times on page A13 a little bit of poetry about the event. A grim Donald J. Trump leaned back from the defendant's table inside a jammed 13th floor courtroom in Miami on Tuesday, jaw set, arms crossed, his back muscles tensing visibly under his dark suit jacket. About 20 feet away, in the second row of the visitor's gallery, was Jack Smith, the special counsel who had put him there, alert and poker-faced. People have already widely made fun of this romance novelization of the proceedings, but it's worth making even more fun of. My favorite part is where, in this coverage of a routine event, we get a non-event as well. After Trump leaves the courtroom, Thrush writes, About a minute later, Mr. Smith and his team walked to the opposite side of the room and left wordlessly. He did not look back. True artistry is when you get to wring a little extra portentousness out of writing about something that didn't happen. In other front-page news from the New York Times, on the open question of whether the administration of Mayor Eric Adams of New York is more corrupt or more incompetent, Incompetence is leading the race, as the Times takes the occasion of the sudden resignation of Police Commissioner Keechan Sewell to look at the fact that the mayor's administration is falling apart. Last month, the Times writes, the mayor's chief housing officer, Jessica Katz, announced her resignation, leaving the city without the architect of its housing agenda. In February, the city's social service commissioner, Gary Jenkins, resigned. And on Monday, the city's police commissioner, Keechan Sewell, blindsided Mr. Adams with her resignation. The story notes that these are the areas in which Adams is supposedly trying to make the biggest difference, then notes that they are hardly alone. Mr. Adams has already lost his first deputy mayor, his chief of staff, and his buildings commissioner. And by the end of the summer, Mr. Adams' chief counsel, communications director, and chief efficiency officer also plan to step down. Who could possibly have foreseen that the weirdo dilettante, whose main interest is hiring cronies, would be presiding over a dysfunctional administration? Elsewhere on page one, the Southern Baptists are trying to purge women from any sort of positions of authority, because if women are allowed to participate in running the churches, the entire structure of gender on which civilization depends will fall apart. Also, in the absence of all-male leadership, the church might have to do something about its hundreds of unresolved sexual abuse cases. But that's really just the same point about civilization from their point of view. Then there's an ambitious plan to quench Arizona's thirst. The ambitious plan being to desalinate seawater from Mexico and pump it in to avoid any actual reckoning with the fact that 
development, growth, and land use are completely incompatible with the available water resources. Looking forward in a few years to the stories about how the hyper-concentrated brine that's been removed from the water for Arizona is being dumped on people who can't do anything about it. Cormac McCarthy gets a well-deserved front-page obituary. And the final piece of the front page is a headline so good that it's frustrating that it's not more true, which would make it even better. Lacking heads, sculptures keep experts on toes. Unfortunately, the forensic evidence used to match the tops and bottoms of statues does not seem to really focus on the feet. But under-delivering is a natural hazard of coming up with a headline that promising. And elsewhere entirely, documented New York reports that private security guards employed by the 34th Street Partnership have been issuing tickets to vendors on Herald Square under a law that allows the NYPD to deputize them as enforcement officers. Beyond the obvious problem of, as documented says, private industry enforcing public regulations, there's also the pure absurdity of the 34th Street Partnership's long-running hostility toward vendors, which seems to be based on the premise that Herald Square is something other than Herald Square. What kind of improvements is this business improvement district envisioning exactly? It's Herald Square. Gateway to Penn Station. It's not like the clutter is keeping tourists from enjoying the elegant amenities there. It's hard to imagine anything the rent-a-cops could do to try to class the place up that wouldn't just end up making it worse. Let the street vendors keep on vending on the streets. That's the news. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Indignity to keep us going. And we will talk again tomorrow. 